one and all to another edition of Fangraphs Audio. I am Fangraphs contributor Carson Sestouli. In this particular edition of the pod, we invite in Mr. Joe Polakowski and Dave Cameron to our incredibly round table. We use an article by Dave Cameron as a starting off point. The article, entitled Predictions That Will Be Wrong, marks Cameron's attempt to guess at the teams that will be making the postseason this year, in addition to the individual players who will be winning awards, your MVPs, your Rookies of the Year, your Cy Youngs. Again, we use that as a starting off point, and we look at some of Dave's more peculiar choices. We use a discussion of Josh Hamilton as an excuse to look at a Texas Rangers club that's offering some interesting looks in terms of its starting rotation. Finally, we receive a surprise visit from the shadowy specter of Dark Overlord, David Appleman. All of this, right now, on Fangraphs Audio. Welcome to another edition of Fangraphs Audio. Joining me, Carson Sestouli, around this incredibly round table. I have a couple gentlemen who you will recognize both from Fangraphs and from the pod. The first guy I'll introduce to you is the co-proprietor of River Ave Blues. He's a, he's a contributor to Fangraphs here, like I say. And he's the man, he didn't invent the Polish W, but he made it incredibly classy. His name is Joe Polakowski. What's up, Carson? Hey, Joe. How are you doing, sir? Doing well. Coming doing to well. us from the Empire State, is that is that right? I am, right in Queens. Okay, yeah. An observation I'd like to make about that briefly. The song, is it by, uh, is it is it Jay-Z and Alicia Keys? It's called Empire State of Mind, I believe, but they only talk about New York City. Any reactions to that? Um, well, hey, what else are you going to talk about? There's not much to talk about in Queens. All we have is the Mets. What about, Schen- what about Schenectady? <laughs> no? Schenectady? Yeah, okay. You can never spell that right. Yeah, all right. Well, let's move on to uh, another gentleman here. He's the co-proprietor of USS Mariner, editor of Fangraphs, and my sworn enemy, Dave Cameron, sir. How are you doing, Carson? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Dave, we're going to use uh, an article of yours as a starting off point today. You uh, you took on, I guess, the uh, the difficult task, probably the un uh, well, I don't know. It's a, it's it's a fool's errand, maybe, but it's still a, a fun thought experiment. It's an article you wrote earlier this week. We're recording this on a Friday. Predictions that will be wrong. Um, I think that's you know you're a smart enough guy to realize that. You know, it's it's a task that you know probably nine times out of ten you're not going to get right. But you you went about trying to predict the award winners and the playoff contenders and eventually the World Series winners for this year. I'm looking at this article right now. I think so is Joe Paul. Let's start with the teams. Uh, AL, you went uh, you went New York, Minnesota, Texas, Boston, Philadelphia, St. Louis, Colorado, Los Angeles. All those make sense. But in the World Series, you have Minnesota over Colorado. Which I think, um, you know, will probably get some people's attention. Probably did get some people's attention. Can you talk about first Minnesota winning the Central, and then probably more importantly, making it through those playoffs to win the World Series? What do you see there? Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, predictions are really a crapshoot. I mean, you know, there's so many things that can happen over a six-month span that are just unpredictable. So, like Joe Maurer could get in a car crash, and I would instantly revise my prediction. But God, no you and uh, killing off star players. At least it wasn't a fire I, I this say, time. I didn't think he was going to die, yeah, so there's no fire involved. Uh, he just might, like, break his leg or something. You know, there are events that are completely unpredictable that have huge impacts on things in the future. So we just uh, have to assume that, you know, they won't happen or something. So, uh, you know, that's why I titled it Predictions That Will Be Wrong. But when I look at it, essentially, I think the uh, three AL East monsters all have some cause for concern about the other two 
guys in their division, beating them out and they not ending up the playoffs. Like I think the Yankees and Red Sox and Rays are all quality teams who could win the World Series, and all of them have realistic scenarios where they're not even playing in October. So, um, you know, Minnesota, I, I feel, has the easiest shot to the playoffs of any team in baseball. I think the rest of the AL Central is bad, bad, and worse. And the Twins, actually, I, I like the roster they put together. I think they had a really good offseason. Uh, I think people underestimate their pitching staff because it doesn't lack, it, it lacks a true ace, but They've got five quality guys. I, you know, I like Scott Baker and Carl Pavano, and I think Francisco Liriano's velocity is back. And I think they've got a good enough pitching staff, some good hitters, a pretty decent defense, uh, and a really easy path to the playoffs. So you get, you get those guys into October with a pretty good shot. You give them three or four good arms uh, and some good bats, and Joe Maurer could carry a team in the playoffs. And I think there's reasons to believe that the Twins might have the best shot of any team in the American League of uh, going to the World Series, and then, you know, the National League is terrible. So uh, it's easy to predict the American League to beat the National League because the National League is not good. Right. Well, we'll see what happens at this year's All-Star Game. I, I believe that's still deciding uh, home field advantage. Am I wrong? No, yeah, that's correct. That's Unfortunately. Correct. Yeah, okay. Now, Joe Paul, not for nothing, you run a blog called River Ave Blues that is entirely dedicated to the Yankees. I'm sure uh, that a combination of uh, common sense and rampant homerism Will that uh, will that have you uh, going Yankees all the way? Uh, it, hysterical homerism, I think, would be a better term for it. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue against them. Uh, them or the Red Sox or even the Rays. All three of the AL East teams, I think, uh, beat out Minnesota in both the lineup. And then you know what I noticed last year in the, in the playoffs is you can get to the pitching staff a bit easier, I think, than the pitching staffs of any of the AL AL East teams. So I, I would pick I, I, if I had to pick, I'd pick the Yankees, but I would definitely pick uh, Boston or Tampa Bay over Minnesota as well. Okay, and how about that AL West? I am, I am doing what, what Cameron said and us are underestimating the pitching. Now, how, how about that AL West? That's kind of an interesting thing. Is uh, is Cameron's pick Texas? We're actually probably going to talk about Texas uh, all over this pod in in a couple minutes, but. That's a pretty close race out there. Do you would you like to dissent from the Texas pick? Is there do you could you make a case for another team out there? I think Texas is the best pick. I definitely uh, I definitely like them. You never know about the Angels though. Uh, you know Joel Pinero got hit around a little bit last night, but uh, he still he, he had what ten ground balls. Uh, fifteen. Fifteen ground balls. So he's still he's doing his thing. He's uh, at least shown signs of success removed from Dave Duncan. Uh, do you think they squad? Do you think they maybe uh, exchange? Uh, maybe notes or uh, love letters, something like that. Still, like correspondence. Oh, probably. Yeah. You know, Dave Duncan. You probably can't let go of uh, of his old projects. No, I assume that's the case. Hey, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna make a crack about Rick Peterson and Victor Zambrano, but proceed. <laughs> well, that, that'll be for another pod. Uh, Cameron, one question about the teams before we move on to some individual players. I think it was you. I could be wrong, but I believe it was you last year during the playoffs. You wrote. Um, some articles about the way that the Yankees were able to leverage their pitching staff once they got to the playoffs. I think at some point uh, between CC Sabathia, Sabathia maybe, I believe A.J. Burnett, although I could be wrong about that, and then Mariano Rivera, between those three guys, they had pitched something like 70% of the innings in the playoffs. Is that not something that you see happening again? Or, or yeah, they Major League Baseball actually responded because it was such a ludicrous um, representation of baseball that they actually eliminated that extra off day from the league championship series this year, so that can't happen again. So essentially they've taken out that game, that day off between, I think it's game six and seven, uh, or it might be five and six, that end of series off day, 
so that you actually can't just use uh, four pitchers to get yourself through an entire series. Um, kind of restoring a little bit of depth to the playoffs, which is good. So it kind of takes away the uh, top-heavy rotation advantage that the Yankees had uh, influenced on their way to the World Series last year. And I think it helps a team like the Twins, who may not have you know, a Sabathia up front, but they've got four or five quality pitchers. Right now, uh, okay. Let's let's go to the individual player awards then. Al Cy Young is uh, is a little bit of an interesting pick here for you, Dave Cameron. You got James Shields, and I'll say Young is Roy Halladay. Uh, I'm not going to ask you too much about that. I think I, you know, I understand why. But Al Cy Young, James Shields. What's what's your thought behind that? Yeah, I'm actually a big James Shields fan. Uh, part of it is because uh, he throws a changeup, a very good one, and, and I'm a, a biased homer of the changeup. I, I love the changeup. But I think Shields is, uh, gets a little bit of a uh, not enough respect for what he is. I think he's kind of the American League version of Dan Heron, who's just a, a good, not great stuff guy who pounds the strike zone, has a couple of out pitches. Um, and, we, you know, we've seen Heron has really blossomed into maybe more than what people expected when he was a prospect. People kind of saw him as a middle-of-the-rotation inning leader. But these guys who throw a lot of strikes and have a couple of out pitches and can really, they know how to pitch, they know how to mix speeds, they can be really effective. And I think James Shields is quietly one of the better pitchers in the American League. And he plays on a team that should score a lot of runs um, and a bullpen that, you know, will be better than it was last year. So I think uh, there's lots of reasons to believe that Shields could win 18 to 20 games and post an ERA in the low threes, especially if the Rays are a um, contender in the American League East, so that's going to add up to some Cy Young votes. Okay. Now over in the with these Cy Youngs, Joe Polakowski, uh, do do you take uh, do you take issue with either Shields or Halliday as a pick? Hard to take issue with Halliday, but I will go uh, with the AL. Obviously, there there are plenty of other picks you can make uh, other than Shields. I, I give credit to Cameron for making a kind of out there pick. I've been a uh, I've been a John Lester fan so far this year. I've been oh. really think I think he's going to really break out in a even more serious way this year. His strikeout rate actually jumped up huge last year. You know, he was real, his breakout year was 2008. The first year he was, uh, you know, started to reach his superstar status. And then last year his strikeout rates jumped from like six and a half or six and change per nine to almost ten per nine. Right. Uh, Cameron, rookie of the year, you have Niftali Feliz, hard throwing, hard throwing, well now relief pitcher for Texas. We'll see if that changes. Niftali Feliz. And Steven Strausberg, you know, those aren't crazy picks. Uh, I guess Strasburg versus Jason Hayward might be the competition in the NL. How did you choose Strasburg over Hayward? Uh, well, I think I think it's actually Strasburg. Strasburg sounds like a violin or something. Uh, but yeah, Steven Strasburg, I think he's one of these kids who, uh, you know, I mean, we haven't seen too many starters who can legitimately sit at 100 miles an hour for seven innings. Uh, you know, Justin Verlander might be the closest thing we have right now. Strasburg throws harder than any starter any of us have ever seen, uh, or at least seen in a long time. And he's able to sustain it for long periods of time, he's going to dominate once he gets to major leagues. Like he, This is the kind of kid where it's not like, oh, he needs to go learn how to pitch. His stuff is just off the charts good. So when he comes up, he's going to have you know a couple of those like Kerry Wood in uh, 10 or 12 years ago, you know, striking out 15, 16 guys a game for a month. And uh, that's going to be hard to overlook. I think Jason Hayward is a really nice player, but 20-year-olds don't hit that well in the major leagues, even the really good ones. I think Strasburg's going to really just dominate the National League, and Hayward might turn out to be a better long-term bet. But for this year, I think Strasburg will be a better player. Polakowski, uh, two questions. One, your Rookie of the Year picks, you know, ALNL, if you want to go ahead and give those. And secondly, if you want to correct my pronunciation on anything, uh, feel free to do that as well. Oh, uh, all right. Thanks for the invitation. I, I kind of agree with with, with Cameron that, uh, that, that Strasburg's going to come up and dominate for a bit. The question is, of course, when when the Nationals are going to bring him up. Hayward's been up since the beginning of the year. I think he's going to put up pretty good offensive numbers. Uh, 
So I I would kind of lean towards Hayward as NL Rookie of the Year. For AL Rookie of the Year, I'm going to make one of those uh, James Shields picks. I'll go with Justin Smoke as mine because I really am just low on Chris Davis. So you and, and when do you when do you foresee Chris Davis? I guess uh, leaving the first base picture in in Texas. I mean, I, apparently they still like him in Texas, so I'm sure he'll have a decent leash. Maybe by the beginning of June, if he's still not hitting, then they'll, uh, they'll turn the smoke. And I really think that when smoke comes up, he is going to hit. Do you think that at some point smoke will be on fire? Uh, I guess you could say that. I'm going to say that, and that will definitely be a headline I use if no one else does. Uh, uh, if you don't, ESPN will use it every single day. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, now now let's move to the MVP picks and... We'll, uh, we'll start with you here, Polakowski. Cameron had uh, Pools, Hamilton, and, and that's why uh, Hamilton will bring us into a conversation about Texas. Uh, man, Pools is hard to argue with. Go ahead and do it if you want to, but the uh, AL MVP might be a little bit more wide open. Yeah, you're not getting me to argue against Pools. Uh, AL MVP, I'm going to go Miguel Cabrera. Really like him. You know, uh, I think he get. It's kind of like a rooting for a guy that I think has been wronged in a way. I thought the press was a little harsh. You know, yeah, he showed up a little banged up to a game and probably shouldn't have been out drinking when the Tigers were kind of – the season was on the line for them. But uh, apparently he's come back from that. He's He started off the season well. He had a really good spring training. And I've always been a Miguel Cabrera fan, so why not pick him this year? Now let me ask you, you know, a lot of times the AL MVP will – uh, you know, we, we need to consider things beyond merely the player's performance, so that's going to be taking into account probably team wins or standings as well, and then, of course, uh, team context. So, you know, an AL MVP is probably going to need to produce, you know, somewhere north of 120 RBI, too, especially if he's playing first base. Do you see the Tigers then being somewhat successful or successful enough to put Cabrera in the, uh, I guess, in the, for, the forefront of the MVP, uh, AL MVP race? Yeah, I think they'll I think they'll finish second in the Central. I think they'll beat out the White Sox. I think they have a, they have a pretty good pitching staff that'll keep them in a lot of games. And this year, he's got you know, Cabrera has a, has a much better you know much better table setters this year. Uh, it's questionable whether Austin Jackson is really going to thrive in a, in a major league leadoff spot. But they still have Johnny Damon up there. Uh, Maglio is even when he's not hitting for power, he can get on base in front of him. So you know, Cabrera has plenty going on in front of him. I think he'll have uh, the RBI numbers, the batting average numbers you know, that the, the voters are going to be looking for. Okay. Now, Dave Cameron, the Josh Hamilton pick for AL MVP, that's probably the one thing, the one choice you made that really stuck out to me as being you know, sort of a risk. I, obviously, two years ago, he was great. Last year, he had more injuries than a cage fighter. Uh, what's, the, what's the thinking behind this Josh Hamilton pick? Well, I think like, in terms of talent level, uh, it shouldn't really be that shocking to pick Josh Hamilton with an MVP because, uh, really in raw physical skills, he could win a lot of them. Like, Josh Hamilton really is one of the most impressive physical athletes you're going to see in terms of what he can do on a baseball field. He's a legitimate side tool player. Uh, the question is always just how much he can stay healthy. And so, you know, it's a little bit of a bet on his health, but, you know, I think the Rangers are going to win the West this year, and I think uh, there's going to be voters looking at, oh man, who is the guy who's really, like, the key to that team? And, Hamilton hitting in the middle of that order. Uh, I think he's going to produce a lot of RBIs, and he's going to be looked at as the guy who made that offense go. And you know, so I think you're going to have the combination of a, a the best guy on a winning team 
they gave it to Maurer last year, and voters usually don't like to give the same guy the award two years in a row. And I think all the AL East clubs have too many guys, where Pedroia and Euclid might split it, and you know Teixeira and Jeter might split it, where Hamilton's really the guy in Texas. And so I think if he knocks in 120, 130 runs, plays decent defense in the outfield, and the Rangers in the AL West, that'll be enough. Well, let's let's talk about those Rangers briefly. Uh, I think probably the most exciting thing that's going on there is that they appear to have pitching for the first time in a while. We saw signs of it last year with uh, with Derek Holland. Maybe uh, even though he didn't necessarily have the ERA, his peripheral numbers were pretty good. They had another guy like like Tommy Hunter who maybe doesn't have the most exciting stuff in the world, but at least you know offers something in terms of reliability probably. Two guys that I haven't just mentioned but uh, are both exciting are C.J. Wilson and Colby Lewis. We're recording this on Friday, like I said. C.J. Wilson just had an excellent performance last night. That was Thursday night. I think it was nine strikeouts, two walks, and seven innings. Uh, I probably am mistaken, but my guess is uh, I think he had some ground balls too. Colby Lewis is doing is going tonight. I'm going to ask both of you guys about this. I'll start with you, Dave Cameron, because you got us on the sort of Texas uh, the, to- the topic of Texas. What do you foresee C.J. Wilson doing this year? Is he going to go nine strikeouts, two walks every night? And then Colby Lewis, and of course this has been the subject of uh, some debate here, certainly during the opening day chat between me and Mark Hewlett. I'm all about Colby Lewis. I think that that he's not just a quad A guy anymore. He, I think he actually did learn some stuff in Japan. C.J. Wilson is the you know addition of a two-seamer. Is that enough? to make him a, yeah. a, a quality starter. Yeah, I think uh, C.J. Wilson, uh, when they uh, announced they were going to convert him from a reliever into a starter, my initial thought was uh, this would be the best thing that ever happened to him because Wilson's got one of those uh, big repertoires where he's got five or six pitches and he's kind of been miscast as a reliever a little bit where he's, none of his pitches are maybe uh, outstanding where you know, if he's only going to throw 10 or 12 pitches and he has to get an out and um, where he can go to it and he has a, a go-to pitch, but he's got four or five above-average pitches or at least average or better that he can really mix his pitches, and I think he's going to thrive in the rotation. I really like the move of moving P.J. Wilson into the role of a starter. I think he's going to pitch well. I mean, two walks and nine strikeouts every night is a lot to ask for. I think at that point he's a Cy Young contender, and I'm not going to predict that. But I think P.J. Wilson could give the Rangers 160, 170 high-quality innings with a southpaw. Um, I think that moving him into the rotation is a terrific idea. Lewis is an interesting case, because I was actually a big Colby Lewis fan before he went to Japan. I always thought he was going to pitch well. His struggled in the majors, but it was never in super long stretches. Um, and I do think that there's something to the fact that guys can improve when they go away. So it's not just like, oh, he went to Japan and his numbers got better because he has inferior competition. I think there's something to the fact that, you know, Colby Lewis outpitched everybody in Japan. He was better than you Darvish. He was better than Daisuke was. I mean, I think we can really see, like, Lewis has made some strides, and I think he's a better pitcher now than he was a couple of years ago, and I liked him a couple of years ago. So I think Colby Lewis is going to be one of the better back-end starters in the American League. I don't necessarily think he's going to um, win, you know, 18 games and throw 220 innings, but I think as a number four, number five starter, he could post an ERA in the mid-fours and uh, pitch pretty well. Yeah, Joe Polakowski, Colby Lewis, C.J. Wilson. You know, Texas has, has long sort of been regarded as a as a wasteland for pitchers. You know, and, and I think people have perhaps uh, attributed it to the ballpark, but if you look at park indices, it's no worse than Arizona, for example, where we've seen Brandon Webb and Dan Heron thrive. How do you feel about Colby Lewis and C.J. Wilson? A little skeptical on both Uh not completely down. I think they'll both probably go through the entire season in the rotation. Though Wilson kind of a, is an interesting point. We often see 
you know, starters going into the bullpen, uh, it seems like it's sometimes a one-way street. And for us, for a guy who's established himself in the bigs as a reliever like Wilson, and he's kind of come out and start. I guess, I guess it caught me off guard a bit. I definitely didn't have Cameron's reaction. I definitely didn't think he was going to succeed right off the bat, uh, and, and that it was the best thing ever for him. But I see the reasoning behind it. Uh, Texas got a good bullpen, uh, at least the end game, where Wilson was pitching. And if, if he's going to pitch well as a starter, and obviously he's shown that he can, now whether he can sustain that is what he has to still answer. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't, nine, nine strikeouts tonight is is asking a whole lot from a guy who has done it you know, at that kind of at that kind of level for uh, – for quite a while, and uh, as to Colby Lewis, well, I, I wish he's this. I wish he could be Cecil Fielder. That he goes <laughs> to Japan and he magically comes back and just starts dominating. But I don't quite see it. I, I'm more with Cameron on the probably back end starter. He'll be, I would think, one of the better number fives in the league. Let's hope know. that he's only like Cecil Fielder in a couple ways. Uh, but maybe <laughs> leave the obesity and uh, post career shenanigans uh, uh, out of it. Um, you mentioned the end game for Texas Polakowski, and and you mentioned also, interestingly, that that sometimes going from a starter to reliever can be a one way street. I'm curious then how you read Neftali Feliz. Uh, we know he's got amazing stuff. Is that stuff that you see, um, you know, that you see him in harnessing and and perhaps locking down a starting position with, or do you see him as maybe even Texas's closer of the future? It could probably go both ways. I'd like to see them give him a, st- a shot as a starter, just because everyone, you know, we all know that starters create more value than relievers, and uh, that he wouldn't have gotten a shot in the bullpen if he wasn't starting so well in the minors. And that's always my thought on this thing, and uh, I experienced it firsthand every day, all day, with Jabba Chamberlain, that you know, a lot of people forget that. They see these guys, these good starters from the minors, they throw gas, come up and throw even more gas out of the bullpen. Everyone's impressed. Everyone's like, oh, hey, wait a minute we got to close out these games. We want to see this guy in the bullpen and not realize that you need guys to get to the bullpen uh, to even have a shot. And uh, to not give a guy like Feliz even a shot in the rotation, it makes me wonder why, because it, it, he took him – he had to be pitching well in the minors as a starter in order even to get a shot in the bullpen. Yeah. Uh, Cameron, that's an interesting comp, the, the Jabba Chamberlain comp. Does that does that work for you? Do, are you higher on Feliz, and what do you view as his role – uh, going forth, yeah, I think uh, to me, I maybe see Feliz more as uh, Joe Nathan. I think like there are some guys, and I, I am totally on board with the rationale that starters are more valuable than relievers, and we should generally uh, you want pitchers to pitch in the rotation if they can, and you want to give them chances. But there are legitimately are just guys whose stuff plays up significantly better in the bullpen than it did as a starter, and they belong as a, as a lights out closer rather than as a mediocre back end starter. I think uh, Eric Gagne is a great example of that, and uh, so is Joe Nathan. There are lots of these guys who, you know, they were throwing 91, 92 as a starter and get hit around. They go to the bullpen, they start throwing 96, 97, and they figure out, like, hey, I can do this for 10, 15 pitches a game. I think Fleet might be one of those guys, and, uh, you know, don't shoot me, Joe. I think Chamberlain might be one of those guys as well, but I think uh, they're... Uh, yeah, know, let's have no nice... uh, pod-related violence here, people. Come on. <laughs> I think there are pitchers, and I think there's reasons to believe that Fleas is one of them, where he's shown that he doesn't sustain his velocity very well as a starter. Even in the minors, he'd flash 100 early in the game, maybe in the low 90s by the end of it. I think there may be reason to believe that Natali Fleas is best throwing, is best served as a hard-throwing one-inning reliever rather than a mediocre-throwing uh, bad command starting pitcher. And Dave, I, I think that you have reason to believe that Feliz could usurp Frank Francisco as the Rangers closer this year. Is that is that right and why? 
Yeah, I think uh, Francisco's an interesting guy in that he's kind of, he reminds me a lot of like Armando Benitez, who's like, his strikeout rates are great, and uh, I know you can look at it and be like, oh man, this guy's a really good under underappreciated closer, but his career fly ball rate is like 48, 49%, I think he was over 50% last year. The guy gives up a ton of fly balls. He gets strikeouts by pitching up in the zone. I've talked about this with Carlos Marmol, is these relievers who do this, and that's actually a pretty common skill set, is throwing a lot of high fastballs. Uh, I don't really know that that's the guy you want to go to in a one-run game where a home run ties the game and all of a sudden you've got a blown save. These kinds of guys, and Benitez really typified it, could look really good for a long stretch, and then all of a sudden fly balls start going over the walls two or three in a week, and the media is writing stories about how they can't handle pressure and how they you know, melt down when there's runners on, and all of a sudden you've got a closer controversy. And I think uh, Francisco's one of these guys we saw the other night, gave up a long home run to Vernon Wells to tie the game and eventually blew the, blew the save, and you know, I think Francisco's got some uh, fly ball tendencies that could lead to some home run problems, which could lead to blown saves. And if you've got Neftali Saliv throwing 98-99 and striking everybody out who doesn't have the same home run problem that Francisco does, I think that's a natural switch to make at some point. Joe, you uh, you live in Queens. You probably were a uh, firsthand witness to you know some of the, I don't want to say controversy, but the uh, the uh, hy- hysteria surrounding Armando Bernides and uh did I say that? No, I said it totally wrong. Let's try it again. Armando Benitez and, uh, you know, maybe a proclivity to relinquish home runs. Is Texas, you know, Texas is a different media market. Do, do you see do you see Feliz taking over Frank Francisco, or do you think that, you know, uh, the Texas media won't jump on that bandwagon and run Washington will continue to let Frank Francisco close out games? Uh, it seems like every time I, I catch Frank Francisco in a game, he's blowing a save. So I guess I'm a little biased in that view and uh, kind of run with that. It depends on how he's, you know, if he blows three or four more saves between now and the middle of May, I don't see there how there's any chance, you know, how there's, uh, how there's any choice in the matter. I think he's going to, you know, Washington's going to see this guy blowing saves. And if you blow three or four saves in a month and a half, I mean, that's a lot. So I think he's going to, I think Feliz will definitely get a shot to close out more than a few games this year. Uh, and not just because Francisco's tired, but because he's been blowing saves lately, uh, and that Washington will move him there. Okay, now you know. In yeah. One, so, um, oh, hey, wait, what's this? What's this? Um, <laughs> it, 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 this, this, this is David Appleman. Um, this is the voice yeah, of, David, I, of is it God or David Appleman? It's hard to <laughs> no, just David Appleman. Um, so I, I have to really disagree with uh, the you know Frank Francisco blowing a lot of saves. I I he, he last year he blew four. It's not like. Uh, you know he's he's blown a ton of them. Um, you know I, I I think Feliz is a great pitcher, but I don't necessarily think that um, he's going to replace Francisco as the closer. Um, I mean both of them have not had great fly ball rates, um, at least in the majors. I know Feliz is a small sample size there, but uh, you know I think Francisco has more or less gotten the job done, um, and he's going to have a bit of a longer leash than uh, you know. Maybe what what both of you think, Alvin? Can I ask the question that everyone listening is asking right now? Do uh, you sure. have Francisco on your fantasy team? That's true. I I do have him on my fantasy team, but <laughs> y- you know, so uh, if if I didn't believe in him, I wouldn't have him on my fantasy team. I am if, I'm just scared right now that uh, we've been recording this and somehow David Appleman has uh, materialized out of nowhere. 
Yeah, I, I I just thought like you know you every time you watched him he you blew a save but you know he he pitched in 51 games last year and had I guess 29 save opportunities but he only blew. And I'm four. totally upfront about that bias. It's just <laughs> it's hard to ignore every time you see the guys get. It's not like he's blowing saves in, uh, in in close games. He's blowing three you know three run lead saves. He's like, he had he allowed a ton of runs the other day, didn't he? Joe, yeah, I mean he did the last three runs yesterday. Joe, I don't necessarily like your job security right now. Uh, Cameron, are you, are you going to dissent or are you just going to uh, yeah, so, fall in so line? I, I like I like how Appleman is like uh, talking about how Francisco's save percentage is so awesome. He's got 30 career saves and 14 career blown saves, which you know that kind of sucks. Well, 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 but wait a second. I think you're cherry picking a little yeah. bit because I, I mean he hasn't been a, he wasn't a full time closer until last season. Yeah, I'm okay. I, but, so last 25 for 29. Like this is really what we're hanging our hat on. Four blown saves and 29 chances is not good. Hey Cameron, you got to put your hat somewhere, okay? And uh, I think yeah, that, right. I, I think I think you put your hat on Nestali Felipe. Well, he might maybe he's got a bigger head and and it's harder. <laughs> maybe you can order a new hat. <laughs> I, I know the Rangers are broke, but they can afford a couple of new hats. <laughs> uh, I, I, I definitely think you know whether um, I you know I don't necessarily disagree that maybe Francisco isn't a great fit for you know. A, <laughs> the Rangers Park as uh, as closer, but I, I definitely think he has closer stuff, and um, you know. Well, let's here. Let's uh, let's put our our money or our, you know, f- our gummy bears where our respective mouths are. Which actually, I would love to put a gummy bear where my mouth is. It's it's my favorite way to consume them. The let's say over unders in terms of Feliz taking over Francisco's starting role, or sorry, I should say uh, Francisco's closing role. Cameron, where do you feel comfortable with if you were to say uh, a date this year? Uh, I think I'm going to go with like May 12th. And uh, before everyone else, let me chime in. Like, we also break Francisco kind of crazy. Didn't he like beat down a fan with a chair? Uh, that's got to play into this somehow. That was years ago. You're, you're terrible. <laughs> and at least he didn't set him on fire, Cameron, which in your <laughs> scale is uh, is humane. Uh, Joe Polakowski, <laughs> what's your uh, what's your read? Where do you want to say a date? Uh, I'll go May fifteenth, just to keep give you a nice uh, round number. Oh, okay. And also, you sort of uh, you box Cameron in there, kind of nicely. <laughs> it's like the price is right all over again. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. I bid one dollar. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> Apple May May fifteenth. I I say, barring injury, he hangs on to the job all year. All year. Well, that wow, that gives me a lot of space. Um. <laughs> But I actually kind of totally believe. I, I kind of believe. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll go May 16th just for the sake of uh, just to exploit the inefficiency here. But I actually think that Francisco will be around all year. I like Francisco as well. I, I see the fly ball rates, but I also see those sweet K rates, and I think they're gonna they're gonna keep coming. Um, Appen, we were also gonna talk about Vernon Wells briefly. I was gonna I was gonna do one of my one of my industries industry leading transitions here. Are you gonna stick around for for Vernon Wells or no? Uh, no, I, I got nothing to add on him. All right. Okay. All right. Well, take care, and uh, and uh, I guess return to your to your dark lair. Uh, okay. Thanks, Carson. Yeah. Thank you, Appleman. God, that's frightening. That he he could he could just be listening. I I I hate to to see the other things he's seen me or heard me do on the internet. The let's uh well, uh, Joe, you we were talking about Arlington, and I was going to bring up the fact that I think just today, this Friday, you wrote an article about Vernon Wells, and it concerns te- the Texas Rangers. Uh, in two ways, actually. One, you you sort of rewind the clock back to when 
Arlington native Vernon Wells could have been signed by Texas if the Blue Jays had let him become a free agent. And secondly, I believe Vernon Wells hit four home runs against Texas this first week of the season. Four home runs. And, and the, like, two, like, weren't two, like, game-tying? I remember he had the one game-tire uh, on on Wednesday. Okay. So so you now he has home runs in the bank. Do you, do you view this as simply a random variation early on the season? Or are you uh, maybe considering the fact that Vernon Wells might be better than the, than the version we've seen the last year or two? Well, it's either an early season surge or the most massive market correction you have ever seen for a hitter. <laughs> because he'd have to make up for a lot of lost money over the first few years of that contract. Yeah, how much are they paying him this year? I think they're up to, they're up to like, what is it, uh, like 15, 16 in their, uh, the high teens uh, this year okay. because they they yeah. extremely backloaded the contract. I think he's making over $20 million for the last few years of that thing. Right. Cameron, you had this maybe as one of the worst contracts on record. Did you, did you write something about this last year? Yeah, well, I, mean, I think it is clearly the worst contract in baseball at this point. I think they owe him $110 million over the next five years, which, you know, if Vernon Wells was a free agent today, what do you think you'd get on the free market? Like one year... Four or five million, so it's you know it's a hundred and five million dollar overpay. That's that's pretty substantial. Mm. Uh, well, uh, speaking of uh, five, four or five million dollar overpays, I think that uh, that wouldn't be that would not be an overpay for for the sort of material we've provided here on today's pod. But I'm going to uh, tie this up with a with a bow and uh, send it send it on its way. Uh, I, before I do that, though, Joe Polakowski, I should thank you for joining and. Uh, and uh, suffering uh, Dave Cameron, so thank you very much. Oh, thank you, Cars. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, Dave Cameron, I can't believe that you, uh, you know, registered anything like dissent uh, from Dark Overlord David Appleman's appearance. But I wish you the best of luck in your job security. Ah, thanks. I'll try not to get fired. Yeah, you should try. And uh, I'll try not to get fired too. But in the meantime, I am Carson Testuli, and this has been another white hot edition of Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.